back everybody to Humankind, Raising Good Humans. Today we have Kim Shepherd, and she's a child psychologist and she has a business called Cool Kids. And what we're basically looking at today is integration of children that are on the spectrum into community. Now we're all about raising good humans, but what can we do as a wider community? What do we do as parents? And what do we do to help our child? So thanks Kim for joining us. Thanks Mel and Sarah. Um, yes, as, as Mel has said, I'm Kim Shepherd, and I'm a psychologist and director of my own practice, Cool Kids Psychology. I've spent about 20, past 20 years in working with children and families on the autism spectrum and my interest in that area was initially spiked when I was doing my master's degree um, and undergraduate years when I uh, got my first job uh, working with a young girl who was on the spectrum and that essentially started my journey in working with children and families and it's something that I continue to do today and really enjoy. So Kim I just wanted to look at um, you ha you've given birth to this beautiful child and then all of a sudden you're in um, social gatherings and something's not quite right. What what are you looking for and what, what are some steps that you can take with your identifying with your child? It's really difficult, um, I think, both as from the parent perspective but also practitioners because autism is a spectrum disorder. It presents in a number of different ways and I think um, for families that's the difficult thing mm. because they sit with the idea they're really young there's a lot that happens in that first two years we'll just mm. give them time mm. and the uncomfortable truth for a lot of families is that they have had concerns and mm. then presented to doctors or pediatricians um, and this is enough nothing against absolutely the field but everyone's very cautious with a young child particularly when it's the family's first child um, so mum or dad might have concerns and they'll go along to the GP or the paediatrician and be told it's okay, you know, it's a boy, they take longer to talk or walk or whatever mm. that might be. So um, one of the things that I do with families is just to uh, remind them that trust your gut. Follow your gut and if you think that there's something not right, then persist with that mm. until... You, and that might end up in an assessment um, for, you know, for the purpose of diagnosis, you know, do that. If, yes. if you have concerns as a parent, you absolutely must advocate for your child and continue until you feel that the issue's been resolved. resolved. So I guess to come back to the question, what are the signs? Um, for most families, because I do the assessment and diagnosis and the treatment and support post-diagnosis, um, uh, and... Most families will say that there was just something not quite right from mm. birth. Either they didn't settle well or, um, or, on the other hand, they were really easy babies. Never fussed. Weren't fussed if they weren't picked up. Weren't fussed. They would just mm, happily play by themselves um, for, for long periods of time. It's and interesting you say that. Because so it could be either or. Yeah, yeah because yeah. mostly we're always talking about behaviours that aren't the norm, where yeah. there's actually lack of behaviour. Yes, yeah. yes, because you would imagine that a young baby would seek to be soothed by its yeah. mother or would yeah. seek that interaction or connection. And sometimes kids that go on to develop a or go on to um, have a diagnosis of ASD don't seek those things. So that right. can be another thing to look out for mm. as well. 
Um, but the typical ones tend to be, and this is what I'll say to families when you're coming in, have a think about what was it like around mother's group is a really good mm, source that's of, fun. yeah. and it's not about comparing your kids, but just when your child sits in a group of other typically developing kids that age, do you notice any differences? What mm. were they like around their second birthday? Yes. Um, and there'll be things that parents will report um, that they might, um, instead of interacting with the other kids, are happy to sit by themselves. Mm. Um, didn't reach for things, didn't point. So they could be quite subtle things, mm. um, which could easily be lost in a busy family or yes. in a second baby or yeah. be dismissed as, we just need to give it time. So it's really tricky. Yeah. Yeah, mm. in That's, those first few years. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that sort of the end, I guess the end point with that or the takeaway is if you have concerns, continue to persist um, if mm. you're not happy with the pediatrician or the GP go and find someone else okay. to get the answers you're looking yeah. for mm. or not yes yeah. Yeah. and yeah. and follow your follow your gut absolutely instinct. yeah yeah absolutely. and so once you one so say we've got diagnosis what would you recommend to parents and to support that child in that um, sphere into in community yeah into the community I chat one of the um, most helpful discussions and sometimes uncomfortable discussion is to is to actually work out with the family what are your values because some families would prefer not to intervene mm. and I think this is this will determine how well or not the child is integrated into the community and yeah. how that approach is taken so when families um, are coming either for a diagnosis um, actually it's usually for a diagnosis and an assessment we will actually have a discussion about what is the diagnosis going to mean and then how are you going to support or what are your ideas about supporting you know a child in mm. that space because as i said some families are happy just to we just accept the child for who they are we're mm. not interested in intervention we love them regardless yes um so then it's less about intervention and more about accessing appropriate support services. However, there are other families that are like, no, we want early intervention yes. and we really want to work on his speech and we want him to go to a mainstream school and we want all of these things. So I think the important discussion or the approach that I take with families is what are your family values and mm. how do you approach um, oh, how you parent mm. your kids mm. and then from there because otherwise I'm speaking to families and we're not connecting because yes. I'm, I'm making recommendations that don't fit well within yes. their family system yes. so it's got to come from there yes. first yeah. and then from there I'll work out okay so what are going what, what's going to be the best process for this family to get mm. to get the family to a place where you know they're they're comfortable um with how their child is supported and sometimes that you know the other layer i guess to that is grief so there's mm. a lot of grief that goes along with um, not only a diagnosis of asd but anything else it could be a diagnosis of dyslexia or yes yeah. you know whatever it might yeah. be so yeah. sometimes families are just not ready to actually actively do anything and they need time to just work through what the diagnosis means for um, them as a parent and also okay. as a couple and as a mm. family and mm. you know some families will talk about we're not going to tell anybody. We're not going to tell the school. Mm. We're not. So that makes integration into the community really difficult. Yes, it yeah. does. Because we talk a lot about um, parents, especially within the school setting, that say, not in my backyard. So right. if there's mm. children that from from a parent who who knows nothing about what's going on and they think well that child in the class is just a pain and they're always naughty and they're disrupting the entire class um but there's generally reasons as to why that is happening um and i guess that comes with the whole understanding of the community and the community approach as well absolutely mm. yeah absolutely and i think um you know not that it's easier but with autism is not something that you can see mm. you know kids look typical 
Yes. But it's not until um, someone moves their chair or they're asked to sit in a different place or um, the mat that's on the kinder room is in a different place or the teacher moves the schedule around and mm. then the kids react um, understandably if you know that they have ASD but for the other kids and perhaps other adults that are around it looks unusual and mm. unexpected because mm. they look normal for mm. lack of a better word or neurotypical they look neurotypical yes, yes so along with that comes the expectation of well you should be able to cope with this mm. um, and when they can't then that's a surprise and then that's when a lot of the judgments come in yes for that, you know yeah so but before we actually explore that further because i'd really like to get into that because mm. that's mainly why, why we wanted to interview you yeah what is the support out there so say you've got the diagnosis are there groups, are there links or books or, I don't know, support groups? Yeah. What's out there for um, parents? For families. Mm. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, the tricky part is finding it. And okay, so that's, why of, I was yeah. that's why I wanted to ask. Yeah, so there's, not, um, there's, a, there's a number of good um, resources. Um, My Time is a great one. So mm. My Time is like a mother's group but for kids with additional needs. And it's right. a space where families can go and be okay and everybody can understand so they don't mm. have to worry if what if we can't go and have a coffee because what if my child mm. has a tantrum or we yeah. can't go and do this because they won't you know whatever oh, it might i haven't be. heard of my time so my time oh, is no. a lovely um uh way that families can get out of the house mm. and connect with other families who are in a similar position okay and do, do they find that information online well hopefully their pediatricians share that information okay. diagnosis. but yep. sometimes what i find um depending on the pediatrician that they'll see um so there's a bit of a process with how the assessment happens but mm. sometimes families will come back to me and i find myself in the position of having to say so this is where you can find the resources, resources. yeah yep. um so it just depends on, on how that um, process unfolds. But mm. yeah, my time is a, I forget the actual website, but I think it's Playgroup or Play Connect or something. So it's okay. a website that families can go to. A lot of this stuff is online. Yeah. So I'll get doing some that whole off. midnight thing, yeah. you know, as a parent when the kids have gone yes. to bed going, ASD families and yes. trying to find stuff. In your well, what I might do is get a series of links of resources yeah, yep. that you um, recommend to parents yeah, and we'll put that in through our mm. social media mm. for them yeah, to connect into. Great. Um, is so. Is there support for siblings? Like, because yes. you're, I, I can hear yes. you're specifically yes. talking family rather than just parents. Yep. So, there is there support for siblings? Um, in terms of formal groups, I'm not aware of something that's readily available to the public. But I know a lot of early intervention centres. So, once a child has a diagnosis, if they're preschool age, they can access early intervention. Yep. And it's not much that the government provides, but mm. it's something. Mm. And the model has changed so that it used to be that it was centre-based support and kids could go and get early intervention on site, but now it's called a key worker model. So, families get assigned a case manager right. or key worker, and that key worker then works with the family to skill the family on, um, up on what are what are the goals or what support structures are you looking for and how can they as a key worker support the family to link into the community so okay. that might be something that yeah would help facilitate mm. um, access to services and those sorts of things um, uh, if they haven't got so that they haven't got a lot of money because we know that 
um, there's the private clinics. The government? Is that like the, the what, how does the government support? So the government support... Even from, through assessments? And yeah, not a lot. No. So that, that area is probably a, like a half-hour discussion in right. itself. Right, okay. So there are Medicare... For families that have... Um, uh, so there's you know a thing called a mental health care plan that families mm. can get, and then there's another series of um, Medicare rebates that families can also access. Uh, and then on top of that, there are specific Medicare items that families can access for assessment and treatment. Okay. And it's, but it's similar to Medicare. It's not fully right. funded. It'll be a portion yep. of whatever the fee is for those services. And then there's a couple of other things on top of that that families also get access to. The landscape's shifting now, um, and this is heading into a, a different space in mm. terms of our discussion today, but with the NDIS rolling out, yes. that opens up things um, oh, over the child's lifespan. So the government provided not only the Medicare items, but also um, under this thing called FASIA, families uh, were able to access up to $12,000 up until the child's oh. um, six. Right. But then what happens when they yeah. turn seven? Yes. Which yeah. is what families... So there was nothing up until the NDIS rolled out, um, which is happening now in mm. this area. Yes. Um, up until that rolled out, it was kind of like, well, once you hit seven, good luck. And see you later. later. Yeah, it mm. really became a responsibility of the schools or the special education mm. support services. So families... And that, look, that's certainly far more than what families had 10 years ago. Mm. 10 years ago, there was nothing. There was no faxia. Families just had to privately fund it or just not intervene in support. Okay. Yeah. And how do you get your schools on board? How do you get your actual school yep. to... Because, I mean, they're most of their... Yes. Most of the week. Yes. And if you are integrating them into mainstream, how do you work with your school as an advocate for your child? If you're... There is a... So there is a couple of support services in that space. I think it's children, and maybe I can add this to the link. Yeah, that'd children be great. with a disability, they actually have. So there's an organisation that has an advocacy arm okay. to their support services. So it's an independent person, because I, as a psychologist, I can't act as an advocate because no. just I'm not allowed. So, but families can access an advocate that can attend um, school for their program support group meetings, mm, which is right. when families talk about, you know, yeah. we're noticing that this is a problem and this is a problem, what sort of things can we put in place mm. to better support the child? Mm. So there's that for families. Mm. So I guess the first question for families is, are you going to disclose the diagnosis or not? So ah, you've got to get over that hurdle first. Okay. Because some families um, are understandably still coming to terms with the diagnosis and very protective given the sometimes judgmental feedback or responses they can get from you know, individuals or the community as a whole when they disclose that there's something that's mm. different about their child. So I would normally chat to the family first about about all of those things and just have that discussion. And then it um, really is... Well, there's another, I guess, step that comes before that, choosing the right school, but maybe mm. that's a whole other conversation. But if families are happy with their schools and they've made that decision, it's then about how can we, um, you know, increase our child's engagement or maximise their learning... Mm. Then it's something that re it's a discussion that needs to happen between the parent and the school about what that's going to look like. Yes. And in a mainstream setting, that can be really difficult, not only for the school as a whole, but for individual teachers as well. Mm. Um, and I think the reason for that is there are rules and guidelines about how kids are assessed in mainstream schools. Yes. And if you don't fit in that space, then you know what what do we do with these kids? Mm. How do we teach them? How can we measure their learning? And unfortunately, in the mainstream school setting, and even in other settings, 
the government or funding bodies, teachers, schools, they need outcomes and they need to know how is this child going. So, so much work. It's really hard. Mm. It's really hard. So I don't think there's an answer to that question. I think the best thing that families can do is stay on good terms with the school. Yeah. Despite frustrations, um, uh, you know, difficulties or, or um, differences of opinion, as far as you can and as long as you can, stay on good terms with the school because they're on your side, but they're also on the school side as yeah. well. And when working with families who, um, with a child who, um, you know, has ASD, who's aggressive mm. and prone to outbursts and physical aggression or property dis- destruction, it also becomes an issue of, well, it's not necessarily just about this child, it's about how can we keep everyone else in the school grounds and the teaching staff safe. Yeah. Mm. So there are lots of factors to juggle, um, but it really needs to start with a, a conversation with the school and the parents, I think, being really open about this is, this. these are our expectations of the school and, um, you know, what is the school's response to that and then working out the grey bits in between. Yeah. Mm. So it's not just guaranteed that your child with autism is going to have a teacher's aid? No. Sadly, no. Okay. Sadly. And are there some schools that are more proactive with that than others? Um, looking for funding? I don't, I don't think it's about looking for funding. I think most of the... It's about the funding that's available. Mm, okay. And there are lots of boxes that schools have to tick in terms mm. of submitting paperwork. And this is in the Catholic um, and, and private and mm. all of the school systems. Mm. They have to... Schools have to provide information that justifies that that level of funding is going to that particular child. Mm. And what will happen in most schools is that funding will be um, accessed for a few kids and then the the school will organise their um, classroom environment to share some of the funding. And and how that works is that it means that um, whilst the funding is not one aid or one type of support service for one child, you can get more but it's spread across the three and so it's really up to the school to navigate what that's going to look like Mm. and how to best um, serve and protect their teachers but also to effectively teach the kids that are attending the school well i know i know down um, on the peninsula there's a particular Mm. school that is amazing with um, how they bring in um, the aids and so it might even be up to the principal on how they navigate around the funding mm. and mm. you need a proactive principal to yeah begin with which that. comes back to finding the right school yes yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because diagnosis is so different in individual for mm. each child too as you say like some children um may be prone to um um what was it that you just said before may be prone to, oh, to like violence or yes, damage yeah. etc whereas other children are not, but they they've still been diagnosed on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and again, the, the parents. Um, and I th- I think back even to that diagnosis before you approach the schools or the the centres that they're going to. There's probably a lot of emotional work that the parent needs to go through yeah. just themselves first before, before they decide whether they're sharing the information or not. I imagine mm. like it's for a parent it would be because not everyone's an open book. No, no, no exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so with that, um, as friends or family of someone that has a child that's just been diagnosed, what would you suggest to support, how would you support that person, the parent? The parent. Um, They've disclosed it to you. Yeah. You know, and you've, you've probably seen that there's something not quite 
right mm. anyway. What do we do as the friend or family member looking in? I think the thing is that the, probably the, the best thing, sort of the, you know, overall thing that you can do is just stay connected with that family mm. because mm. it's those families, and it's not just ASD, they won't return your phone calls. Yes. Um, they will might have been struggling for, you know, four or five week period with an illness on top of not sleeping, on top of a newborn, on top of which is not unusual mm. in families with multiple kids, but I think just um, try and stay connected with them. Yeah. Continue with the, you know, do you want to come around for yeah. coffee or can I drop something by? It doesn't mm. need to be a big thing, it's just yes. I'm here, I'm still yeah. here if you need me, how are you going? Hope things are okay. Mm. So I think that's something that most people can do that's relatively easy. Mm. And then the other part, which is um, doesn't sound like much, can, but it can be really valuable and therapeutic um, for families, is just to listen. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Just to listen. And, and you might not understand it. Mm. And you might not have the answers. Yeah, and you might not have the answers. And yeah. you know, sometimes, you yeah, sometimes yeah. it could just be a key. Like I can see that it's really hard for you. Yeah. Yes. So it's just being a really good yeah. I like that. Listener. I can see that's real. Yeah, because yeah. opinions aren't going. No. Help and you know what families don't mm. want? They will have access. Most families that have um, a diagnosis of ASD will have come in contact with some allied health professionals. So they mm. will seek the input and suggestions from those people, what they're looking for from friends and family is just understanding and mm. openness Yes, and to maintain a connection. Because a yeah. lot of families will come to me with young kids preschool age and they don't go out. They can't mm. even do the shopping because, yeah. you know, they've got a child who has to count all the letters on every number plate that they walk past before they get to the supermarket. Yes. Or if we go to the supermarket, we can only go to this one and, and if it's, and, and if they have, you know, kinder surprises there, then we've got to buy the whole box and we don't want to do that today. And, yes. You know, so There's some so practical much. help that you yeah. would probably offer, um, you know, the family that has a newborn child, I'm going to the supermarket, is there anything I can get you yeah. Yeah. to yeah. save them having to leave the house? And then you don't, it doesn't need to be, I'll drop in and check on you and have a cup of tea, but just I've left it at your door, I hope you have a good day, you know, let me know yeah. if there's anything else. Yes. So really simple things um, that sometimes I think we either forget or we don't do because we think, oh it's no big deal well we take it, it for is. granted yes and we probably looking inside looking in we mm. don't um know what the struggles are so we no. just take it for granted we yeah. can go and have a coffee we take it for granted we go shopping we can take it for granted we just go for a walk down the park or a haircut or yeah. going to the swimming pool or yes. you know, going to the beach or any of those so things. if Stay you're a hairdresser friend you offer to go over to their house and cut their hair perfect yes <laughs> <laughs> that go. would be great and you might be there might be a social story and a couple of visits that happen before that until yes. the child gets ready to your you know to, yeah, to yeah. be in that space. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Asking questions too. So, um, I was so meeting the mother. Yeah. The mother can oh, have a also the child because having a haircut for a child on the spectrum is a whole other. Yes. I, I could imagine. I yeah. could imagine. Yeah. So what I wanted to explore and like Sarah touched on it before where it was not in my backyard and I, mm. I'm really passionate about this and I know Sarah is as well is there's a lot of discussion in schoolyards where they're like, I can't believe that child's behaving like this. I can't believe that we're, my child's getting affected, blah, blah. Mm. How do we not solve the problem, but how do we as a community go, do you know what, we're going to embrace this 
and and we need we're not going to we need to we have to because yeah. there are lots of children out there that are being diagnosed and also lots of children that aren't being diagnosed yeah. that mm. are in your children's mm. class and will continue to be and we and understanding we want our children to be yeah. safe mm. safety mm. but some distraction like this is where i want i wanted to explore this further with yeah. you so you're talking about how can we um, increase people's understanding, understanding and, and acceptance, and acceptance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It really comes down to education, mm. which is the tricky thing because, like I was saying before, some families don't want to share. Yeah. So then, how can you work on inclusion and understanding when there's no disclosure? Mm. So, yeah. and that's a discussion that I'll have with families. But let's say that that problem's been solved. Yes and it's been disclosed, then it's really about um, the teacher having, whether that be in primary school or childcare, having a discussion mm. about differences. And it's not necessarily saying, see this child over there, mm. they have ASD and what we mm. need to do to better support them is, or to include them is to do A, B, C and D. It's just having a general discussion, as you yep. would about lots of other things. Yes. Um, about these are some things that, you know, as a centre, this is what we would like to see and these are the things that we expect of the kids and that they're... Um, the staff are on board to follow that up. Mm. Yes. Yep. So you can have that in place, but unfortunately there are some families that just don't want to know or are not interested or are just happy in their own little space and they don't want to have to interact or deal with families that are different. And I think in that space you just families just learn to work around that. Okay. So there's no point, I think, in um, forcing someone to have a level of understanding that they're just not open to. I think that energy is better invested somewhere else. Okay. And I think if families are finding that it's not just one person but that it's sort of a centre-wide approach, mm. then that's feedback to families that this is not the right space for us. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's almost finding your tribe, isn't it? Yes. So finding yeah. families yes. that Absolutely. do support you. Yep. Um, and quite often, I mean, we say, and children can be can be mean and they can be terrible but they can also be very inclusive at the same time mm. quite often it can be the adults that are expressing their opinions on yes. others yeah. that um, I guess are, I don't know well getting back to Erica's them. story mm. there was a, one particular mother that yeah. made it very okay. difficult okay. Yes. and so that that's where you actually mm. want to make sure that you've got your tribe yeah. you feel connected yeah. In yeah. Yeah. and you've, you've got, got that support, support. Network. yeah, yeah. Mm. And I think, too, as the parent, you acknowledge that everybody's entitled to their opinion and mm. it's not necessarily your job to change the world, but yeah. it's your job to work with what you've got mm. where you're at. And yeah. then there's this ideal world and then there's the world that you've got and yes. then what can you do within that space that's going to maximise, you know, the not only the outcomes for your child but just the community as a whole. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, like you can, what's that saying? You can take a horse to water. Water yeah. <laughs> to drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You can provide all the information in yeah. the world but if people aren't interested in it or are closed, then it's not, you kind of have to go, okay, this is no longer my, my problem. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and I realise that this is something that's separate from me and to um, accept and allow people to have that opinion even mm. though it's something that you don't like. Yes. Mm. And if you're finding... Um, obviously, you're wanting to... With the teacher, the same thing applies, doesn't it? Is if you feel like the teacher is not coming to the party... Tricky mm. <laughs> with teachers because, you know, I work with a lot of families that will change schools because they don't like the teacher. And schools, um, my understanding is most schools are, are quite um, protective of which teachers are allocated to which kids. And mm. 
Um, I think historically mm. parents don't have much say in mm. which teacher mm. they get. Mm. So, you know, what do families do when their child starts prep, for example? Mm. And, you know, you want that first year to be good. And yes. you want your child to start off like, school is okay, I'm safe, and I'm having a good time. Mm. Prep's kind of, I'm having a good time. And then yeah. grade one and so on gets, that's work. Um, so for families, that can be a little bit difficult um, how to navigate that space. I have worked with some schools that have been open to kids changing classrooms midway through the year. Um, so that's okay, but then mm. the other part of that is how do, how do that child's peers perceive this child who's moving from class to class? It's yes. kind of like by supporting them, by acknowledging that this class isn't the right place, we're also creating this another element of difference. Yes, mm. yeah. So it's, you know, how do you, how do you win in that space? But mm. I think um, the outcome that most families look for is that their child goes to school. They don't mm. have to love it because, mm. you know, not a lot of kids go, no. yay, I'm going to no. school today. Yes. But that they are safe and that yes. they're learning yeah. at a level that is um, appropriate and achievable Yes. And I think uh, what comes to mind with me is what actually gets left out in community is not being invited to parties, yes. um, inclusiveness, sporting <coughs> activities. <coughs> and that's where I know we've got brought you in as expert advice, but I would actually challenge our communities that kindness does matter and that we yeah. need to like, include Completely, and that it might not always sit right with mm. us, but they're part of our community, and mm. our kids need to know that there's not just vanilla world. Mm. There is actually every there's differences, mm. and I think that's a, I, and look, I I absolutely agree with you, and I also agree that it comes from the top down, so it comes from the family system yes. down to the kids. Yeah. Mm. I think from you know from birth onwards, kids are just curious yes. and interested yes. and care yeah. and all of those things. It's the judgment, I guess, that others place on difference um, that then filters down to them, which yeah. you know has the potential to, to make um, things difficult in terms of inclusion, yeah. which comes back to education. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Education, um, and is, so we need to be more through school. the school by the yeah. sides of well, it and the parents. The good thing about, um, and I think this was rolled out last year, so teachers, like lots of other professionals, have to meet a certain number of um, uh, you know, continuing professional development. And I think it was last year that the education department included that all teachers have to have a minimum number of hours of education in um, disabilities, special ah. needs. Prior to mm. that, nothing. And yes. interestingly, it gives me goosebumps, you can go through an entire teaching degree and not touch on ASD. Yet we're sending our kids to schools to be taught by teachers who often don't know what ASD is, is and don't know how to teach it. Yeah. So, so you can see why like families are going, what are you doing? And then the teachers yeah. are going, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, yeah. that has changed a little bit in that, um, you know, as I was saying, teachers are now required to have a certain number of hours mm. of professional development right. in that space. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fabulous. So and it it's new. It does. Yeah. 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 Um, and what I find um, that I'm doing some of the time is going in and doing professional development for the staff. This yes. is what ASD is and this is how it looks in the classroom. 
Um, and there are some organisations that offer that um, in-service, if you mm. like, to schools that are interested. Mm. So they will, they can be contacted by the schools. And if, because um, we're seeing more, mm. more kids, not more kids are diagnosed, but it's more um, shared now. Yes. There's greater awareness about it. So there are services that offer schools, um, you know, to do professional development yeah. for them. Because, mm. you know, you can guarantee that in most classrooms there's a kid that's on the spectrum or yeah. has behaviours that are similar to yeah. those needs. I think, because um, we are going to wrap it up in a little while, yeah. um, is to know that there is no definite age to not get diagnosed. Because I mm. think people, it's particularly even when you're going into teenage years, people have thought that, well, they've been left behind. But what would advice would you give to parents leading into those years? And if their kids don't have a diagnosis? Yeah, or yeah, okay. yeah. Um, well, sometimes mum or dad is on the spectrum. Yes. So, yeah. um, that, you know, that's a, another conversation. But, but it's never too late. It's never too late. No. Yeah. Never too late. There's no, well, you've hit 15 now, so, yes. you know, too bad, so sad. We can't And do you. we go to a child psychologist or what do we do? GP okay. would be the first person yes. to go to and discuss. Um, concerns and then GPs will you know refer as needed yes um, and there are uh, agencies um, uh, psychology clinics that diagnose and support adults on yes. the spectrum as well okay. for receiving that diagnosis like yeah and what's life. the cutoff for a child psychologist is it 14 or 15 in terms of getting a diagnosis yes no there's no cutoff oh, in terms okay. of a diagnosis okay, but great. it's about support so if kids yeah. so it was about financial support from mm. the government and prior to the NDIA rolling out if you hit seven then sorry we can't give you any mm. if you get a yeah. diagnosis after seven yes then we can't help you you yeah. can have the diagnosis but we yeah. can't give you any financial sure. support to right. access the resources that we know that you need and that yes. we know that the literature says you need so you know good luck yeah well thank you so much what we will do is um i'll get all the links and books that kim would recommend for parents that are discovering autism as part of their family as well as what support as a community we can have a read up on thank you so much for joining us it's, it's been, been my a, pleasure been i've a, loved having a chat oh good <laughs> so thanks for tuning in to humankind raising good humans and we'll see you next, next time. time bye